Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening in. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking all about Waldorf homeschooling with Annie Haas of The Child is the Curriculum. I knew when I wanted to visit the topic of Waldorf homeschooling this season that I wanted to have a few perspectives to share. Annie has done a tremendous amount of study on Rudolf Steiner's work, that's the founder of Waldorf Education, and has a wealth of experience to share from her perspective Waldorf homeschooling her three children. You can find additional information and resources on the show notes page for this episode, which is waldorfie.com forward slash the child is the curriculum. So you know, the next episode of Waldorfie will come out on January 7th, 2020. The show will have a little holiday break for an extra week, and I can get digging in to season three a little bit more. I hope you enjoy peace over this last month of the year, and I will look forward to picking back up with you on January 7th for a little more of the second season of episodes, Waldorf in the Home, before we move on to season three. A very special thanks to our Waldorfy podcast supporter, Palumba. Palumba believes that imaginative, open-ended play with simple toys crafted from beautiful natural materials offers children warmth and a sense of well-being when discovering their world. They're my absolute favorite shop for high-quality Waldorf toys, books, craft, and art supplies. You can check out Palumba at palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. Okay, let's get to introducing you to my guest, Annie. Annie Haas is a Waldorf homeschooling mom of three children, one of whom is now grown. She's an artist, musician, singer, and an avid reader of Steiner and other esoteric studies. She loves living deeply into the seasonal festivals and anthroposophy. She runs an online Steiner study group for homeschooling moms or anyone interested in diving deeper into studying the developing human being. She also created the Threefold Human Calendar with the help of her son, who's an aspiring graphic designer. It's a planner to help teachers, homeschoolers, and anthroposophists do inner work. She's also the founder of The Child is the Curriculum, which we're going to be speaking much more about later in this episode. Well, thank you, Annie. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Well, let's jump right in here. So how did you first find Waldorf Education? And did you first find Anthroposophy and Steiner's work, or did you first find Waldorf Education? I'm so curious kind of how people find it and which path they find it through. I, I first found it through through Waldorf, although um, <laughs> my sole wishes I had found Steiner in high school because I think he's really the answer to a lot of questions I had in high school. So I found him late, but I'm making up for lost time. <laughs> so I, I, I had discovered Waldorf when my um, middle child was in early childhood and I gave her sort of a Waldorf home experience for early childhood and there wasn't a Waldorf school near me. I started giving her Waldorf early childhood just blended in with our home life. And my son was in a public school in the mountains. I eventually decided to bring him home and, and, and we did Waldorf at home for his sixth grade um, experience and he just thrived in it. So that was kind of my introduction. And I did, we found Christophorus um, homeschool website. She didn't have a, a sixth grade curriculum. She just had um, some books and, you know, her overview and some book suggestions. And so I actually just created my own curriculum that year based on some of her books and I made my own blocks. And so my, that was my first 
Waldorf experience. <laughs> so had you seen, if there wasn't a school in your area, did you kind of find it online or did you find books at first that made you interested in it or sparked your interest to be able to pursue it in the home setting? Yeah, I just, I just dove right in. I'm trying to think what, well, for early childhood, I just, you know, did, I just worked with rhythm mostly and, you know, slow living and just learning through life with early childhood. And for him, I just dove right into teaching and I just, just practically. So I just discovered, I was like, wow, I was like, this is such a human way of learning. I think that's what struck me first is that I said, this is like very, very human. I don't, it's really hard to describe, but uh, we did, you know, we got the book String, Straight Edge and Shadow for Geometry. And I did that as a read aloud with him. And it just was like, this is just such a wonderful way to learn geometry. And it just, yeah, it just lit a fire. (laughs) I really loved creating all our blocks that year. And we, you know, we did lots of read alouds and he did lots of hands-on stuff. It just really was just a holistic, truly holistic education. And so then my husband had to get a job in in a city and uh, I wanted to learn more. I was really thirsty for more. I wanted to be around more people who are doing it. And I wanted to learn more from workshops and be around trained teachers and everything. And so we moved to the Chapel Hill area and went to Emerson Waldorf School and were there for a few years. So then I just fully immersed myself. And that's where I did a lot of while the kids were in school, I just read Steiner constantly and after too. So when you were when your children were attending a Waldorf school, what made you feel that you wanted to bring them back home again? I'm so fascinated with homeschooling because growing up, I don't know, I just, I wonder if my mom actually had known about the homeschooling option, if she would have homeschooled us because we actually lived quite far from a Waldorf school. And now, you know, I'm a little interested in it for my son. So I'm curious what qualities about homeschooling specifically you felt were important that you wanted to bring them from the Waldorf school setting back home again. You said you'd you'd mentioned that you were homeschooling your son at sixth grade and then moved and then they went into the school. And then what inspired you to bring them home again? Here's the thing. It is, it is kind of, most people are far from the school and make a commute. Not everyone lives like, you know, (laughs) within a few minutes of the school. And so a lot of people had trouble with commuting. We, we lived right next to the school for a while. That was a very, um, (laughs) the house was built in 1910 and it was very hard to heat. (laughs) So we moved uh, about 20 minutes away into a house that had insulation. <laughs> we did a lot of homesteading in the house though. We loved it, but, and it was beautiful. It was on many acres, but it was very hard to live in. Um, you had to chop all your firewood to heat the house. And so we moved to a bit of an easier house after a while and it was a commute. So, you know, it was 20 minutes to the school. And so, you know, that's a lot. It's getting everybody you know, up in the morning and, and out and to the school. And then for a while it worked out and, and my children love their teachers. Um, but my daughter's main lesson teacher left the school. And then also um, my son loved the middle school, but when he got to the high school, it wasn't a good fit for him. I think the transition from having one strong teacher to hold the class and then going to many different teachers, kind of like, kind of like a college was a, was a really big transition, if that makes sense. Totally. And so, 
he wasn't really enjoying that part of the high school. I think he still needed a strong teacher to hold him. Some people need that a little bit longer. And yeah, and then my my daughter really was, it was hard for her when she lost her um, her grades teacher in, in after second grade. So th- that combined with obviously financial reasons, I thought, well, for the amount we're paying, how many field trips could we go on? <laughs> and uh, also, I just wanted to center our life around family more instead of driving and commuting. My husband was commuting 50 minutes from his work to our home. So we decided to move closer to my husband's work so we could have lunch with him and homeschool and center everything around family. Also, I just I was really interested in teaching it myself at that point. And so I felt like I had really this burning desire to want to immerse myself in art making and teaching them myself. So everything, it was just kind of like the stars aligned. It was meant to be for us to just, you know, pull away from the school. I feel like I look at the, my time at the school as sort of like a a lesson time, like a university time. (laughs) It was, you know, three, four years of really a lot of learning for me. I did workshops and all kinds of things. And I took all that knowledge and am now putting it into my homeschool. So I thank the school, even though it didn't work out, I still miss the school sometimes too. And I have fond memories of it, but I'm taking what it gave me and putting it to good use and trying to help others also that are not connected to schools. I'm trying to bring what I learned and bring it out into the world. If I can, I mean, at least I can do that. You know, I think it's really beautiful that you are able to do what you're doing because you do have this experience within the Waldorf school setting. So through your own personal study, Mm -hmm. which we'll get to is so important for uh, being a Waldorf teacher or in my mind, a Waldorf homeschooling parent, plus that experience of being in the school community and understanding how the blocks work and how the teacher works with each child um, just from being a part of it sounds like it gives you really a a really full picture and how you can uh, create the aspects that you want to and need to for your children to learn well in your home. What excited me most, too, is that every teacher at the Waldorf School did things in their own way. They had a lot of freedom. So it wasn't just, you know, they all did things the same or they needed to meet up with these certain things of doing things the same. They all had their own absolutely beautiful way to be with their own class. And I just really liked that freedom and um, trying to get homeschoolers that are nervous to see that they can do things in their own way. They don't have to do it the way the next homeschooler does it or the way another teacher does it. I mean, we all have the same general idea of human development, but the endless creative possibilities of what you can do with that. Yeah. I've heard this from so many Waldorf teachers that one of their favorite aspects of being a Waldorf teacher is that they really have the freedom to be able to help each child grow, nurture each child through Waldorf education that they don't feel they necessarily would have in any other educational setting. Yes. And And at the same time, we need each other for support and to compare notes. And I think that's what the teacher, um, the the teacher meetings that they got together is that that's kind of needed too. But the homeschool community kind of needs that as well, like where we need to say, okay, how are you doing? What are you doing with your class? What are you doing with your students? And then we can support and be there for each other. But 
you know, that doesn't exist. There didn't exist online. And I was, I'm trying to create that where everybody is kind of talking like, Hey, what's working for you? And you know, what's working for you? Cause that's what they do in the schools. And coming back to relating the benefits of Waldorf homeschooling to the Waldorf school environment, you're mentioning that the teachers, you know, get together and compare notes and share with each other, what's working, what's not working uh, with different grades and different types of children, but also there are parent-teacher conferences where the teacher meets with the parents of the child to, you know, talk about their, how they're doing and, you know, what they may need to work on. And when we're talking about the benefits of overall just Waldorf education, the teacher's job is to meet each child where they're at to help them, to educate them. And in my mind, who knows their own children better than the parents, you know? So that really just starting out from that point, being a parent, you really actually have more than you think you do to get started with Waldorf homeschooling. Yeah. We have even more of an advantage because the reason that Steiner had a one teacher ideally going for the class from first to eighth grade. And of course, you know, we're with them for life. So we have even more depth to work with. And so I, I think that homeschool moms and dads should not be intimidated that they don't have what they need because they have more than what a Waldorf teacher has, really. They have this intuition about their own child, too. So we have so much more. There's advantages and disadvantages to homeschooling, for sure. And I think Steiner said that, you know, it's it's not about the setting. You're still working with the same forces. So it doesn't really matter whether you're learning this way or that way or at home or in a city or in the country, but you're still working with the same forces. I forget exactly where he said that, but (laughs) it struck me. And I keep looking for those tidbits, even though he doesn't talk about homeschooling, he still says things that you kind of can tell like what he would say. And I'm always looking for those. (laughs) Totally. There's so much work that Steiner created. I mean, you could just spend a whole lifetime studying all of the things. I mean, there's so many lectures and books. It's a lot. It's a lot. It really is. And um, there are many teachers that study that quite extensively. And there's some, there's some teachers I don't think that really dive into anthroposophy or much of Steiner's work at all. I mean, of course, what Mm -hmm. pertains to Waldorf education, because that's, he's the founder and um, had so much to say about it, obviously. But yeah, Yeah, the teachers don't always have the time to read so much because they're so busy, you know, so that's the other thing. Unless they've done it before they started teaching, um, it's it's tough. Or maybe they do it in summers, but it, it's a lot of time put in, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So do you want to talk uh, more about The Child is the Curriculum now? Do you want to talk about how that got started and the work that you're doing with The Child is the Curriculum? Um, sure. So I wasn't really expecting that to be born. Actually, it's a funny story. My, I was at my mom's visiting my mom. My mom lives in Charlotte and I was visiting her and my husband was watching the kids. So I went by myself and just went on a, you know, some me time with my mom. And we were hanging out in her art studio. My mom's an artist and look, I was looking at all her paintings and she was I got, I got stuck there because of an ice storm, a rare ice storm in Charlotte. So I said, okay, universe, why am I stuck here an extra night? Because I I was really needing to get back home Sunday to start my week, but I was stuck there Sunday night and couldn't get back till Monday. And I, my mom was doing, she was doing art classes that she had signed up for online. And she was, they were really interesting. Like, she's like, you can sign up. And you can subscribe to a website and you get all this help with art. She's like, it's just very supportive. It's a great community. It's got a great mission. And this is just like purely art, has nothing to do with Waldorf. 
And I said, oh my gosh, I think I know I'm stuck here. And I just felt this like really big burning desire to make a website for, for Waldorf that was somewhat similar, but not just for art, but just for all the support, you know, and that you could, that people could subscribe. And if, if they didn't want to, you know, I needed an off, I wanted an off social media, like little place for people to discuss Steiner and to, to post their own things and, and kind of like that teacher discussion that I talked about, you know, cause some people, you know, some Waldorf curriculums are really expensive and people don't want to, you know, a lot of moms can't, they can't afford a Waldorf school. Um, they can't afford to buy a curriculum that is hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but they still want to homeschool Waldorf, but they need to do it on a budget. And I wanted to create a place where people could do what I did when I first started Waldorf homeschooling, which is just to piece together some blocks with books. I wanted to show moms how to like create their own blocks if they wanted, and they could do it on the cheap and to, to sort of just help them, you know, understand where Steiner's coming from, understand the human being. But I was like, also like, oh, this is a big, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to take this on? This is going to take a lot of time and I'm not going to get, you know, compensated a lot for it. And it's going to be a lot of my time. And I'm already really spent for time with just teaching my own three kids. So, um, but I just couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. And I just felt this fire, like I have to do this. And so, and my spirit wouldn't stop. I just didn't stop until I made the website. And my son helped me make it because he wants to be a graphic designer. And he is his 18. He just turned 18. And he's like, oh, I'll help you build the website. So he helped me build it and do the logo and do all these things. And we just put it together in two months. We just worked on it and a little slowly at a time. And I, I didn't even know what it would become or if it would work. I still don't know if, where it will go, <laughs> what it'll do, but I just know that I wanted to study Steiner with other people and, um, it's hard to do that locally. So I wanted a place where people could do it together. Uh, and, and also a way to, but it's really is hard to get people like off Facebook and Instagram because social media is so distracting. <laughs> so it's still a baby and we'll see where it goes. But, um, a lot of people say they're really happy to have found it um, and that they're really thankful. And so I was really happy about that. And we have people on there from South Africa and just all over the world have come on and I hope they do chime in more and share their experience. Yeah. I think that just that, that quality you're describing where teachers can get together and share and help each other, that Waldorf homeschooling parents need that too. I have yeah. uh, a friend who recommended you to me on your website because she is a Waldorf homeschooling mom and she likes the aspect of, I think she maybe has purchased curriculum from somewhere, but she really does most of it. She puts a lot of it together herself and where she, mm -hmm. she'll find a hole and she'll say, you know what? I just need this one piece. I need this, I need this one block, or I have this idea of how I want to meet my son with this quality. And how do I do that? And how do I get there? And finding your site, you offer, um, a la carte kind of little pieces. So you really have uh, pieces that can fill in the gaps, I guess, for Waldorf homeschooling parents, which is super, super appealing. Yeah. And I hope that that builds. I mean, what I'm imagining is that is, you know, hundreds of moms creating all kinds of different blocks and having like a buffet or a, a smorgasbord of blocks to pick from, because sometimes you don't want you know, all of one curriculum. I have a lot of friends locally too, who have been Waldorf homeschoolers for a long time. They have bits and pieces from all different, you know, curriculum and they pull from this. So they'll pull from Enki or they'll pull from 
uh, you know, all these different ones um, for different blocks or they're weaving blocks together. Um, I just had a discussion with a mom about making a yearly theme, which I guess is a very anky thing to do, but just to have like, um, especially with history. So we are thinking of together, she's a local mom, we're going to do middle ages for the rest of the year and, and just kind of weave all the other subjects into it for sixth grade. So weaving physics into middle ages, weaving geology into middle ages, that's an, an interesting idea that might be helpful to homeschoolers too, because we're so stretched for time that we kind of need to make things more, Steiner says, economy of instruction. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to blend uh, math and handwork and like just kind of doing things like that, because um, here's the other thing that is really important. That is that, you know, homeschool moms are doing it all, you know, or dads. Um, they are doing the main lesson, but then they're doing all the extra subjects. The Waldorf teacher in the school gets to hand off their students to the handwork teacher or the music teacher, and they get a break. Well, we don't get a break. <laughs> we are doing it all, unless you're outsourcing to some of your classes, like doing it, like dropping them off at a local knitting class or, or something, then you're doing it all. And so it, it kind of makes sense to not think of yourself, okay, I have to be like a Waldorf school. You don't, mate. You can you can blend things together. We have freedom and we don't realize it a lot of the times. And that's what we need to realize is that we have the freedom to do what we want to make it work with our family and then also to blend it with family life. And I've experimented with all different ways of doing that of like, okay, why is, is this rhythm working this year? Or do I want to try something else, you know, or maybe I want an extra long block, you know, maybe I want a three month long block so that we can really go slowly with it. Or I loved combining botany with India. I liked combining local geography with Native American studies. So I'm always trying to read Steiner and to try to get to the meat and the heart of what he wanted for the age. And then having the freedom to just design the year in a way that isn't necessarily like a school would do because we don't have to. Right. And so. I, don't, I think that when people look at Waldorf homeschooling and they think, oh my gosh, all the beautiful artwork and knitting and all the things that you're trying to bring to your child, they really see it as, oh my gosh, that whole picture. It's so much, such a rich way to educate your child, but it's so, it's so deep in how rich it is. And they feel overwhelmed by how yeah. much there is for them, for themselves to work on and learn. And, and like you're saying, it doesn't have to look like what it looks like in a Waldorf school, you know? And I think that's really important that you are that you're speaking to that, just listening to you talk about um, using the Middle Ages as a theme throughout the entire sixth grade. I would have loved that because I was a kid who <laughs> loved history. So to be able to learn something like math or physics through a historical theme, that would have, I would have been so into that. I think that would have been, that would have been of such a benefit to me and my learning. So, I mean, that's just right there speaking to the freedom that you have as a homeschooler, because, and I've, I've spoken to this before with homeschooling. I think there's this image somehow that, or people have this, this idea in their heads that homeschooling is somehow less than getting to go to a Waldorf school. And I really don't see it like that. It's a different option. And there are so many benefits that can really enrich a child's uh, education that you may not be able to get in a Waldorf setting. Like you're saying, just being able to afford how many more field trips, you know, if you get to keep your kids, um, you mm -hmm. know, at home, you get actually many more options in many ways. Is there any way uh, you could speak to the benefits of Waldorf homeschooling and what you get as a trade-off for getting to have your kids uh, learning with you at home versus getting to 
you know, send them to Waldorf school? Well, the benefits, you know, you have a deep connection with your children, obviously very, very deep, which is really, you're there for all of their discoveries and, you know, and it's that way for all homeschoolers, not just Waldorf, but you you get to be there with those, you know, those aha moments. It's, we've had amazing experiences by scheduling field trips on the weekend so that dad can be a part of it. And then he has amazing experiences with their learning. I really enjoyed that. For the human and animal block, we went with him to the zoo. We went with him to the coast, to the aquarium. We went to the island where we saw wild horses. And then the, the tour guide told us about Native Americans. And we were doing that during our Native American block. We went to Town Creek Indian Mounds where we saw wigwams with daddy. And there, it was actually wound up being infested with ladybugs, which was a really magical experience because there were ladybugs just everywhere. <laughs> and then they, we went home and she did for her shelter project. She made a wigwam just like we went and saw in person. I don't know that a Waldorf teacher could do all those things. And of course, you know, the teacher to student ratio is, is going to be, you know, a little bit better. So there's another advantage and just, you know, being able to just like breathe into things a little more, just, you know, if they don't finish something, then they can finish it on the weekend or, you know, they can get it done. If it's a beautiful day, I just, and it's too beautiful, then we're just, we just go outside and they're not like stuck in a classroom there. You know, we just enjoy the, the beautiful day or we take handwork or painting outside or we, I mean, they can do that in the schools too, but, but you know, that there's disadvantages too. You know, you don't have the break or the team of people helping you or, you know, the, the community, you have to build your own community as far as festivals. But I have really done a good job of having amazing festival experiences with just pulling together some local people. And even sometimes non-Waldorf people have joined us for festival stuff, which is really amazing because they just, they like it. And so it's, that's been good, but you have to be, you know, it's, it's tough. I've heard from different moms. They're like, well, we just don't have anyone around who I can, I can start a co-op with, or it doesn't even need to be a working, like really scheduled cooperative, but sometimes people just want to get together for festivals or park days. We have done Fridays. So I only homeschool Monday through Thursday and we have Friday off. So every Friday we get together with our homeschool group and whoever can come comes. It's not a mandatory thing. We just, we schedule things and then whoever can come uh, comes. We have craft days. We've done festivals. We've done spiral walks. We've done lantern walks. We've done candle making. I mean, we've done so, so much. And these are um, all Waldorf homeschoolers that you were able to find in your area? Or are there all kinds of homeschoolers in that community? Um, the ones that come are mostly Waldorf homeschoolers. Um, we're lucky to have a lot of them in this area, but there's a lot of homeschoolers in general in this area. I think there are 10,000 homeschoolers in the Raleigh area. Oh, which wow. Is crazy. <laughs> um, and there is no shortage of things to do as far as just regular homeschoolers and activities. But we have some some unschoolers in our group as well. And they absolutely usually love Waldorf because it's just, you know, they're unschoolers and they're open, but they usually drive really well with, with Waldorf because they just hop on to all the seasonal activities and things that they're probably interested in anyway. And then for we do get together with some mainstream homeschoolers as well or hop on some of their programs or things like that but it's tough for Waldorf homeschoolers to sometimes integrate with uh, mainstream homeschoolers in that sometimes you know in those settings the kids are you know they might be bringing their screens or you know what i mean and so the Waldorf homeschoolers are like you know i really i don't want to go to the park and have my child be 
on an iPad or something like that. <laughs> it's not usually a huge problem, but you know, there are differences between the, you know, the regular homeschoolers and, and the Waldorf homeschoolers because the, the children are, they, especially with the media and things like that, that's, that would probably be the only clash there, I would think. But it's usually, I've seen all kinds get to, to get together and it isn't, it isn't usually a problem. Are you a Waldorf homeschool parent? Are you interested in Waldorf homeschooling and wondering where you can find beautiful art materials, craft supplies, and toys? Well, let me tell you about my favorite Waldorf toy shop, Palumba. Palumba, loosely meaning wooden dove, was formed in 2007 to fill the need for the desire to have safe, high-quality, all-natural toys made in the U.S. This need was discovered after the owner, Judy Alexander's first son, was born in 2001. Palumba's selection of products are carefully selected to ensure that they're made of wood, wool, silk, and cotton, along with other natural materials. As some of you may know, I have a seriously high standard for any company I want to share with you as a podcast supporter. With Palumba, it was an easy choice. I actually reached out to them to see if they'd be interested in collaborating. Their commitment to quality is second to none. Almost all of their products are made by them in Michigan. A handful of items then come from a women's cooperative in Peru, while the majority of items are made in the U.S. Palumba is also the only retailer that features the entire Camden Rose line. Camden Rose's commitment to durability, beauty, natural, and renewable materials make them the American leader in eco-friendly natural toy and children's furniture design. You can check out Palumba at palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. You can also check out my list of my absolute favorite Waldorf toys at waldorfie.com forward slash favorite toys. And that's favorite as we spell it in the U.S. I can't wait for you to check out Palumba. It's really my favorite place to find the most high quality, beautiful Waldorf toys. Yeah. So I have some specific homeschooling mom questions for you here. Sure. <laughs> because I think there are a lot of parents. I'm curious about it because I am not, I'm just a little 17 month old guy at home with me. And, Aww. you know, we do lots of things in the home, but it's not, I wouldn't call it schooling yet by any means, you know? <laughs> so I think there are a lot of parents that are listening to this that may already be wal uh, home doing uh, Waldorf in the home, Waldorf homeschooling, who have some specific little questions. And I think one of those is so often, how do you manage to juggle different ages when you're homeschooling, but particularly with Waldorf homeschooling, because you're meeting the child where they're at developmentally. So if you, if you are mm -hmm. meeting, you know, a 12 year old and a five year old, they're not at the same place. So how do you juggle that in your day? Well, I'll go back really quick to where I started, which was when my son was in sixth grade, I also had a kindergartner. Uh, she was five. And I also had a one-year-old or newborn. So I literally had my newborn in a wrap and would be nursing most of the day. I'd just carry her around in a wrap. And then my kindergartner would be, I'd get her engaged in, you know, some painting or just an activity while I worked with her brother. And, you know, she just was a real she was sanguine, so she was just always so happy to play. So I think it also, and temperament, you know, the four temperaments plays into Waldorf a lot. And so, you you know, you're dealing with that as well. So it is a lot to juggle, but sometimes the temperaments can be an advantage. Sometimes they can be a disadvantage. And so she happily played on her own while I worked with her big brother and and her baby sister nurse. Now that evolved as they got older. Then we, we did go to the school and she started second year kindergarten at the school and then her brother went to the middle school, seventh and eighth grade. 
Um, and then I had just one little one at home, which I could give my full attention to then. Um, but if I had still homeschooled and then also after I pulled them out, dealing with different ages, you really do have to meet them where they're at. So sometimes that looks like taking your, you know, if, if you have like a really busy toddler, but you also have one in the grades, then, you know, you can take, if you can take some of that outside, because if, if you have one of those really busy toddlers that is tearing up the house is really not, you know, it needs your attention. I think I would use outdoors for that situation. Like, you know, let's bring our lesson outdoors or let's go do our main lesson at the park, you know, so that this, this toddler that needs to have their energy out can play in the sandbox or something like that, where you're, you know, I usually always had these huge elaborate playroom set up. I set up my home like a Waldorf kindergarten. So we had all these open-ended toys. We always had baskets of silks and shells and all these things so that the, the young one was fully engaged while I'm working with the older ones. And then you have to schedule things around baby naps. And But this is why rhythm is so important so that you can kind of do things when, you know, if you have a strong rhythm, then you know when you're going to have a moment to do something. If you don't have a strong rhythm, then it's just chaotic and you're, it's going to be harder. Really, rhythm is the glue that holds even together right now. I couldn't get done everything I get done now with my family or everything we have to do without a really strong rhythm. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, we've so, talked about rhythm this season and how important it is just without having homeschooling children at home. But I can imagine how that impacts just being able to structure your whole day. And for the children, it gives them the sense of security because they know what to expect, especially because young children don't have the same sense of time that we do um, as adults. So I can only imagine how, even more so how important it is if you're homeschooling to maintain yeah. that consistent daily rhythm. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, do you end the school day, start and end your school day at the same time, more or less every day? And then what do you do in the summertime? Do you maintain that consistency um, in rhythm through the whole year or does that shift seasonally? Oh yeah. Yeah. We leave the, in the summer, we leave the, the skeleton of it there. And so what we do during the years, we do begin anywhere from about eight in the morning. Sometimes it winds up being later, like nine or 10. So I, I kind of look at it like this. We, we kind of have a rhythm and not a schedule. I do it what I do between meals. And if you think about it, it makes sense. So we can only get productive things done between breakfast and lunch and between lunch and dinner. And we have to have, include outdoor time in that. And I include chores time in that. And basically, we have a morning time where we're you know, doing productive school type things. And then we do afternoon where we're doing that. But this is sandwiched in between lots of time outdoors. Like they, I send them outdoors, even on breaks. If they're working on a long art project, they take, you know, five, 10 minute breaks and go outside and, and stretch their legs. And that's one of the things that I loved about the Waldorf school is if, if a child got really antsy, when my son got really antsy, his Waldorf teacher would have him go bale hay at the school farm. <laughs> Or it would have him, you know, do a lap or two around the school building or, you know, because he was a very fidgety guy. You know, he just wanted to move. So I work with them on, on that. And then so we probably end our school day at three or four. But it really depends. Like I, I just leave this sort of orb of a window of them to work. But I also am reading there. I can tell when they're in their chair and they're just like, uh, and I, you know, they're like, they just have to go outside, you know? <laughs> and so I'm just like, okay, go outside. And then we're going to come back in and work. Just take a 10 minute break and, you know, or they need that, or they need a snack break or, you know, something like that. 
And so it's not really this, there's not a start time and a stop time. We're just kind of going with the rhythm of the day. But we have a general flow to it. And I've posted my daily rhythm uh, chart before. It's, I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it on Instagram. And I love, I oh, think yeah. you had batch <laughs> cooking on Sunday. And I thought, yes, that is what I'm going to do with my Sundays now. I love it. I may have to share oh, that photo for everybody a at some flavor. point. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing besides rhythm that I just, I couldn't do without because I could not cook three meals a day and get all that we're doing done, you know, from scratch. I used to do that when they were little is cook every meal from scratch, three meals a day. And when you're homeschooling, especially multiple kids, different ages, and you're doing main lesson and all this art, you, you can't, you just can't do it. So I we cook twice a week at the most, but I try to get a lot done on Sunday. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Your time as the homeschooling parent, how do you find that balance? Because not only are you spending, we talked about your daily rhythm with educating the children, right? So that's in between the meal times, like you're saying, and I totally understand that. But for you, when do you have the time to prepare this work, to prepare, um, you know, do drawings or read uh, about the Middle Ages, for instance, wanting to teach them that? When do you find the time? And I'm not sure that I saw that in your daily rhythm that you posted. I mean, that was obviously mostly for the family and for everybody, for children. But mm -hmm. what about you? When do you find that time, A, to prepare and plan, and B, when do you find that time to regroup and recharge yourself? You know, I couldn't do a lot without my husband. So we're usually done by around four o'clock each day, and he gets home around five. And he's actually, I don't know, he's kind of amazing. He takes them from five to seven so that I can do what I want with that time, which is really amazing. <laughs> and since we batch cook, you know, we, he's just giving them the food that we've already prepared um, during that time. That's just really amazing that he works all day and then does that. But he, he said he wants the time with them because he doesn't see them all day. And so he just, you know, he doesn't want to, life to go by and not having had spent time with them. So he plays games with them and does all that from that time, which gives me a huge huge break. Not all people will be able to do that. They'll have to figure out their own thing. And then I take them back again from probably about, you know, seven to eight o'clock. And we do, I do more reading with them. I do nighttime reading with them so that like, if we didn't get to a lot of reading of our chapters, we do a little bit more at night. So I do a read aloud to both girls at, at that time or, or to one for a half hour and then another girl, if they're reading different things. And sometimes we skip the reading and I just hang out with them or they're just playing or something like that. We don't always read during that time, but then that's my husband's time to just have alone time after taking them for so long. And then, and then they go to bed and, you know, we, we put them to bed and then, and then that's time for us. So we spend, I do stay up at, you know, until I do stay up till midnight every night. So I, I've always been a night owl. It's funny. Steiner talks about, I think I can't remember whether Goethe was a night owl or Schiller, but he was talking about how one was a morning person and the other was a night owl, but I'm definitely a night owl. <laughs> and, um, I've always been that way. It's when I do my art my, for myself or when I'm doing my thinking or my studying. So some of that time at night is spent with my husband where we are either playing a game or we're watching something together just hanging out. And then some of that time is me spent studying. Um, I'll, that's when I read Steiner. That's when I read his lectures. And that's when I make my art or when I prepare for the next day, like I write the rhythm for the next day in my planner. I do a lot of the planning for the week Sunday. I always do a week on Sundays after batch cooking. I look at the week ahead and I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? And one of the most important things that 
keeps me inspired that doesn't, so I don't look at the week drudgingly like, oh, I have so much to do this week, is that that I make sure to include in my homeschools things that excite me that I really like doing. I saw a post recently from Julie, the Brave Writer on Instagram. Um, I, a lot of people are following the Brave Writer stuff. One post that she made was that, like, you know, make sure you include your own interests in your homeschool, things that, that you're interested in. And that's what really gets me excited for the week. So it inspires me to want to plan and to be like, oh, I can't wait to make this with them. I can't wait to do this with them. You have to include things that that you get excited about or else or else it's going to you're not going to have that that inspiration and that spark to plan. And sometimes I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I do get overwhelmed and I'm like, oh, this is this is too much. And but, you know, I'll make adjustments then I'll say, OK, we need a lighter week. Or maybe we need a day off tomorrow and I need to just regroup and clean the house or, you know, and that's the beauty of homeschooling is, you know, we can do that. I've learned that I don't homeschool in December because it's just too hard. (laughs) But what I do in December is that we we go through, you know, Advent in a really meaningful way. And uh, so I still do some things. I think this year, since I have a second grader, we're going we're, we're gonna to do some more saint stuff. So to answer your question, like if we're not really actively in a main lesson and doing like really a lot of homeschooling, I keep the skeleton there. So I'll keep, you know, the meals are obviously always there. And the rhythm, um, yeah. And the rhythm. And we always do chores after lunch. So that's always there, even in the summer. They do their chores right after lunch and then they go outside. And so we hold that rhythm is there no matter what. So it's not really going way out of left field. Um, and, and for early childhood, it's just so important that they, here's the, this, the hard thing about everyone under seven is that they have no idea like what's going on. <laughs> and so you really, the whole point of rhythm at that age, because they're, they're like, what's a Tuesday? You know, what's a Friday? What are these people talking about? So what I did for my youngest, uh, at that age, just having had experience, I was like, okay, I started, I, we could probably have been more creative, but I called Monday day number one. I called Tuesday day number two <laughs> and thir- and Wednesday day number three. And so she would, she was already, you know, cause they can kind of count. I think this was probably at age three or four, but she was starting to get the days of the week by the, how I numbered them and how we would go to the store on a certain day. We would paint, we would have a painting day. We had a baking day even at home. And we had a, we did, we, for years consistently, she knew this is painting day. So I know where I am in the week. I know where I am in the world. And it's such a sense of security because she, she was also her temperament, which wound up being choleric as it developed out. This is your littlest one. Yeah. My littlest one. She was just also very shy, hide behind my leg type didn't really like the world, was scared by the world a little bit when she was younger. And so this really made her secure, like, okay, this is this day. She needed to know that yeah, much I more f- than my older ones. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know if you've read any of Janet Lansbury's books. I'm so into, cause I have a little toddler now, like oh, it's no bad kids, toddler discipline without shame. That's the name of the book. Um, and then she has another one. Oh, elevating childcare as well. And mm-hmm. she, a lot of what she talks about is the causes of behavioral stuff. And a lot of it in that age is stress. And there are things that we don't as adults find stressful, um, mm-hmm. but just even little minor things can throw a toddler off and a young child off so much. And when there's a consistent rhythm, that's just one less thing that they have to feel like, oh my, because like you're saying, it's not just where I am in the week, but it's also where am I in the world, you know? Yes. And it's just those Very. moments of knowing, oh, now we 
now we bake and now we have lunch and now we rest and that's consistent. And now's the time of day we go out, whether that's to the grocery store to get something else done for mom or dad. And now we come home and we, you know, when you take, and like you mentioned earlier in this episode, just slowing down how this is kind of associated with this, um, with Waldorf and especially the early childhood years, that's not just rhythm, but also slowing down so that there's the time to transition between between these things as well, that just makes life so much less stressful for toddlers. And where there's less stress, from what I've read, it would seem there's just less uh, behavioral stuff too. And it's helpful in yes, that area. If you focus on nothing else for early childhood, it would be rhythm, I would think, and just slowing down and not just like randomly, as much as possible, not just randomly going to the store or randomly doing this. It just jolts them out of, you know, and you can't, sometimes you can't help it. You know, people need to go on vacations and they need to travel and they, you know, and things need to change. Some people have a hard time, you know, or their job or whatever allows them to not, their rhythm might be more random. Um, but as much as you can, as you're able, yeah, I think that that rhythm really helps and, and just at least giving them something so that they know the days of the week and and the time of the day that they're in is anchoring and it's empowering for them. They feel empowered. They're like, okay, I got this. I know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I can imagine, like I said, I'm not Waldorf homeschooling myself yet, but just when it comes to rhythm, um, you know, and a lot of parents thinking of Waldorf homeschooling, if you are just a single parent or you are home just by yourself most of the day with with children, um, how rhythm can really help you. You mentioned how in your daily rhythm, you have alone time for yourself and your husband has alone time for himself. Uh, and how that's, it's not just important for children, but it's important for you too. It's kind of like, if you have that crazy day, you're not having that stress out moment where you're kind of losing it at three 30 because you know that you can get till five o'clock, you know, and how helpful, how helpful that is when I'm by myself, because my husband travels quite a bit. I just said to my husband, because he just got home from a long trip, that I'm happy to have him home, but we have to have this readjustment period of our rhythm. And we do so well when it's just the two of us, actually. I mean, I get, of course, tired and burnt out at moments, but just the rhythm is so easy to keep consistent when there's like one less adult to kind of fit in the pattern. So we're just kind of readjusting now to having the three of us be in a rhythm and how I can totally attest to basically how important that is to the whole, you know, family unit and everybody feeling, you know, balanced and happy and certainly for small children secure, you know. Yeah. And we have family meetings too, or we, we did, especially when we first started homeschooling, we would have a family meeting in order to iron out rhythm. So if you don't, if a family doesn't meet, then they can't really talk about, well, like, but I need this. And I, everybody has to kind of put on the table what they need. And then you kind of fit it together like a puzzle. Well, how about you take this time? And then you can kind of work out a sort of a schedule, but a loose schedule so that, that people have time to, and things to look forward to in the week. Because if people don't have something to look forward to, then yeah, it's just all work and, and it can be too much. So, you know, we, the family meetings help. <laughs> yeah. So I have just a couple more questions for you. And one of those is about Steiner's work and your study, uh, your Steiner study group uh, through the child is the curriculum. One of the reasons that I wanted to speak to you, Annie, about Waldorf homeschooling is I want to help my audience find really uh, authentic homeschooling resources to to Waldorf, I guess. I think there's a lot of people kind of looking at pictures of like the beautiful kindergartens and the play, the toys and everything <laughs> saying, where do I even start with this thing? Um, and what I want to help people to find is really authentic Waldorf, if you will. Um, and I find mm -hmm. that for, like I said, I'm not a Waldorf homeschooler, but experience, having experienced Waldorf myself as a kid, 
there are qualities that come, things that come from Steiner that do impact the teacher and then, of course, the parent and the home teaching that really make it uh, so alive and really what it is, if you will. And I think mm-hmm. one of those things is the, the inner work, which I'm not even totally <laughs> certain exactly <laughs> what that is because it's a personal thing. But can you speak to your study of Steiner's work and how that's impacted you as a human being, as a parent, and then through in teaching your children, obviously? Yeah, it really ramped up the most. My reading of, I did a lot when I was at the school, but it really ramped up the most when I started homeschooling because exactly what you said, I wanted to come from a really authentic place and I wanted to hear things from the horse's mouth, so to speak, <laughs> because when I was starting to design blocks again, after not doing it for a while, I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, I want to really be in this. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to really get this and I want it to really come for me and I want to have a really amazing year. And so I think we started with local geography and I did Native American myths instead of Norse myths. I was doing fourth grade. I So I was reading all of Steiner's lectures for that age group. So reading geography and everything and just dove really deeply into those underlining, meditating on things. If I didn't understand something that he said, I just get, went over and over and over it so I could be like, okay. And most importantly, I looked for why am I doing this? What's the reason? And why now? Why this age? And just really underlined <laughs> those things and also realized because he said it, but also because uh, I started realizing the way he speaks is that Steiner actually designs his lectures in a certain way. He actually says things in a certain way as to be inspirational. So when I read other people who write about Steiner, it isn't the same as when I read Steiner himself, because Steiner has just this, I guess he had this clairvoyance. He has this way of knowing what is going to so if you can really read Steiner and and really digest it, and it sometimes it takes a while, and you might have to digest it in bits, then you're really inspired, or at least that's been my experience. Where I I don't I can't find any other writers that inspire me like he does, especially because you know what I because he just explains in a certain way that I don't feel like many can of why I'm doing this. Uh, and he, he said that his lectures were written in that way as almost like poetry. And that's why maybe they are so difficult because he's speaking to the soul and he's not really speaking to your intellect. He's, he's speaking in a, his lectures are actually really poetic. Do you think really meaning to touch on the thinking, feeling, willing aspect of the human more than just the thinking really? Yeah. Exactly. He's not logically explaining, okay, step one, do this and step one, do that. And, and he's, his education books are not a how to manual in the way a lot of education books are like, you know, cause you can justify almost anything, but he's basically giving you the spiritual, the, the human being, he's talking to you as someone who's going to work with a child with their, with all three of those things, with their thinking, feeling, and willing. And he's, artistically his 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 lectures are artistic so they're not meant that's why they're not meant to just be quick reads they're supposed to inspire and they're not an they're not necessarily an instruction manual and in our thinking only culture that would that's why they seem so odd because we're not used to that and you know we're really too too logical sometimes you know especially if we're educated that way (laughs) yeah 
I feel like just talking about Waldorf homeschooling and now Steiner, this can sound very overwhelming for a parent who's interested in starting Waldorf homeschooling. So what would you suggest is a good place for a Waldorf, someone who's interested in Waldorf homeschooling to start? And then what, and then beyond that, if you were to suggest one thing to read of Steiner's, what would that be for that parent? So it's a two-part question, I guess. Maybe you can answer the first part and then the second part. (laughs) (laughs) These are hard. Yeah. Okay. I would say that because everyone will have a different starting point. Of course. And that's Um, kind of the thing with Waldorf is, I mean, we don't technically, I mean, Waldorf schools, I don't even think they can use the word like Waldorf approach because, and we've talked about this in this episode, that doesn't mm -hmm. mean one thing. That doesn't mean one picture. It's really, and that's why I think, as you're mentioning, studying Steiner is kind of necessary. It is, I mean, certainly when you become a Waldorf teacher, you study a little bit. It's because you want to become inspired to use these tools. You want to become inspired to to do education in this way, more than a guidebook, more than a rule book of how, you know, X, Y, and Z happens for each child, you know? So sorry, just coming back to my question. Um, Let's just start with simple. We'll make it one at a time. How would you what would you say is a good first step for somebody interested in Waldorf homeschooling? Well, if they've got young children, you know, like in early childhood still, and they're just, you know, dabbling in it or discovering it then, then they've got maybe some time to look at first grade or kindergarten stuff. And then I would I would suggest Kingdom of Childhood or the child changing con- the child's changing consciousness. Usually, those are the first two I'd recommend. The child's changing consciousness is really good for those. That set of lectures is really good if if you need because he explains things very simply in that one. And so, for people who find Steiner to be a really difficult read, it's probably the most easily accessible one. And Kingdom of Childhood next would have like the first lesson in it for first grade. So you might, that's a great thing to look ahead towards because, you know, that's what you'd be doing when you start actually doing homeschooling because you don't really actually have to have a curriculum or any kind of lessons until they're seven. So, you know, you have lots of time if you have young ones, you're not really doing school before then. It's really tempting to start lessons before then. It really is. And it's hard to hold off. There are very good many reasons to hold off. But the most important thing, if I had to start, would be with rhythm again. Like it would be, you know, early childhood having a really simple, slow rhythm and repeating things and really living in the seasons with the cosmos and with nature. And then um, and then kind of slowly in your spare time, just start looking ahead at first grade, not necessarily even buying a certain curriculum, but just, you know, reading Steiner's lectures on the first lessons which are in the kingdom of childhood and in practical advice for teachers. That's another one. And so those would be the ones like you're not going to start with education for adolescence book unless you're, you know, if you're at that stage where you're starting, you know, you're, if you're pulling your, you know, 10 year old out of school, public school and you're starting from there, then you might want to read education for adolescents because the other stuff might not really apply to you at this time, unless you have younger ones too. So it, it does depend. And that's why it's really good that if I can work on putting lectures on the child as the curriculum in different age stages, so that, that if someone comes in and they're like, well, I have these ages, they can just go directly to, oh, okay, well, I can go directly to these lectures. I really, it would it would be helpful if Steiner's lectures were organized a little bit more by those of us who are familiar with them to say. And some some curriculums do this too, where they have a block and then they the person posts links to relevant blocks 
for them to go to, for, to, to read for that age. I think that's really helpful when curriculums do that, but not, I don't think all of them do that, but yeah. You can tell me if I'm incorrect here, Annie, I would think too, that age isn't the only factor. Like I think of, you know, a first grade class. So when I, I have such specific memories of my first grade year it was such a magical, special mm-hmm. time. And I actually remember the first thing that we did the first day of first grade was we had our block crayons, you know, we just had three, just three colors and we did a straight line and a curve line and just those two different shapes. And I'm not sure if this is really specific. I just remember these early lessons so specifically, but my, just my memory of them, you know, and there was a story that related to, you know, what we were doing. And then we get to do it at the end of the lesson. And it was so exciting somehow, but it seems so simple. Yeah. It's just such a, such a clear memory for me. What I'm meaning in that is I turned seven at the end of September, my first grade year. And I know for Steiner, he talks about a couple of different ways you kind of know your child is ready to um, go into first grade. I know my, this is going to sound so weird and maybe you can even explain this. My father-in-law, who's very experienced older teacher, always says one of the things is like, if you can reach over your head and touch your ear on the other side of your head, like that's a thing. I don't know uh-huh. if that's just like his thing or if that's a, that's a Steiner thing. I don't know. Um, I think but, it is a Steiner thing, but yeah. I'm, I, I don't, I never saw him directly express it. Or I don't remember what what context he what kind of explained it. Yeah. yeah. So he explains a couple yeah. of different things, but one of the things he mentions about being ready to for that first year that you should be seven for the majority of the first year. Is that correct? So that being said, your child yeah. may turn seven. My son's born in May, right? So I mean mm. that he may be one year this way, one year that way. So just observing your own child and knowing, um, you know, if, if I were to homeschool him, that that what I was ready for in my quote unquote first grade year in September, mm-hmm. you know, he, depending on his temperament, his personality, he may or may not be ready for the exact same things at the same time. Does that make sense? And I think that's something also to be aware of for parents who have more than one child. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, yes. And actually, I have a good example. This past year, because um, my youngest turned seven in February, which was really like very difficult because of older sister. She's begging for school, you know, at home. Like, can I please start lessons? Can I please have a main lesson book? I think in her second year kindergarten at home, I gave her a quote unquote main lesson book, which was just this big blank book. She filled it out however she wanted. She just filled it with drawings, but she just wanted to feel like she had a lesson book. Yeah. <laughs> so I just said, here, you color whatever you want in here. And she was putting like random numbers, letters, just, you know, cause they're still at an age of imitation. So they're right. still picking stuff up and putting it in. Um, but I gave her no formal lessons. So she just was allowed to doodle in that when big sister was doing her lessons. And she was very satisfied with that all her second year in kindergarten. And it's a really beautiful, thick book filled with all this stuff that she decided to put in. And I treasure it. So this past year, I, I knew that when we, in the fall, her sister was starting and she wanted to start too. And I knew she wasn't turning seven until February. So I was like, well, uh oh. <laughs> um, so I said, you know what? Her sister had not gotten enough, in my uh, opinion, enough geometry and form drawing because we just didn't get to it a lot the year before. So I said, we're going to do a three month long form drawing and geometry block. And this is what homeschoolers can do that they can't do in the schools to meet the kids is that. So I did that. So I started the straight line and curved line with her. And uh, I wasn't just I just didn't think she was ready for alphabet or math or any of that yet. But I thought she could handle the form drawing. So we we did that and she just loved it and she was ready and she just soared with it and loved it. And it was a match. So I'd give her sister her, you know, fifth grade form 
and I'd give her her form and I, and, and we worked together at the same table and I'd give each of them, this is your form. This is for your age. And, um, I really absorbed that, that lecture in kingdom of childhood where, where Steiner's the, talks about the straight and curved line. And I gave the first lesson in that way and they just loved it. And so it was really great. And it was really neat for my fifth grader to hear it again. She's like, I remember this. <laughs> so I think you could, I, I tailored it to, to her, you know, and what she needed. And that's why I dragged that out so long. And then after she turned seven, we started with, with math. We started with, you know, the counting, the, you know, the quality of numbers. It's so fascinating. So, There's so many different ways that you can so beautifully do it aren't there. And that's kind of what's there so inspiring are. about it at the end of the day. There really are. And as long as they're having it, it's, it's about their experience. So you, if you're focused on how are, I ask myself, well, then how are they experiencing this day? How are they experiencing this lesson? You know, you have to kind of become a little bit of a child whisperer to, to be, to do that instead of just, did we get through it? It's more of like, what's their experience of this? Where's their consciousness? And that's a powerful thing to ask yourself every day. <laughs> Definitely. So I'm sure there are parents out there listening to this who may have more questions for you and certainly may be, you know, interested to explore the child as the curriculum. Can you tell the audience where they can find you on social media and, you know, just speak a little bit about where they can find the child as the curriculum, obviously online. Yeah. I'm on Instagram, uh, at the, ch the child is the curriculum and also on Facebook at the child is the curriculum. Um, the name itself came from a Steiner quote that said the child himself is the curriculum. So we're looking at um, their whole self, their consciousness and everything. The, the website is a study group. It's also you can sell your own blocks if you make them. Uh, it's it's connected with PayPal. So you can just withdraw directly to your PayPal account from our thing because I want to help moms like sell their own work. You can purchase other moms work. So that is um, www.thechildisthecurriculum.com. Also, it's a place where you can get free downloads. And we have a feature called um, book clubs. And so you can take a book. Anyone can. You can, if it's a, if it's a public domain book, you can get the PDF and just post it up there if it, or you can ask everyone to go out and purchase the book and then you can lead a study group on that book. And then everyone in the whole community benefits from, from that club as people lead people through it. So I really love that feature of the website. Um, I realize it's hard for busy moms to do those. So, you know, sometimes you have to stretch it out through a whole year and do a chapter at a time. <laughs> and then we have a forum, a discussion forum where you can just ask questions anytime. And just like for any age group, everything is categorized by age group and by subject that's usually taught in that age group. Um, but of course those can be modified, but everything's organized. We have a section for festivals. So you can ask a question about any festival. I'm trying to link Steiner's lectures for different festivals there. And then we have that. And then you can also, we have a, um, art tutorials on there. I'm trying, I take requests basically. And so if someone has, because I, I did go to art school, if, if someone has a request for high school or the younger grades and they want a lesson on, you know, they want me to do a video tutorial. I mean, I can't always do tons at once, but in my spare time, which is not always a lot, <laughs> I can do art tutorials for people if they want them. I definitely take requests there. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're offering right now. It's still just a baby. So hopefully, you know, it'll keep growing and people keep adding things to it. And so in a few years, it'll have a lot of content, but it's, it's, there's quite a bit of content already for it just being opened in March. So <laughs> it's, it's growing. 
Yes. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing there, Annie. And thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much. You are lovely to talk to. And I really enjoyed this talk so much. So thanks for having me. Thanks for listening in, everybody. As we wrap up here, I just wanted to quickly remind you of how you can support Waldorfy. You can go to wherever you get your podcasts and write a positive review. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do this. You can share Waldorfy on social media and tell all your friends and family about the show. I've received a lot of messages from parents who found that the show is a great way to inform the people in their lives about this whole Waldorf thing. I would so love for you to check out our Patreon page. Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself to create content that you love with a small monthly contribution. The Waldorfy podcast is a free resource for parents and those interested in Waldorf education and anthropology philosophy, but free doesn't pay the bills. It would mean so much to me if you would consider becoming a supporter. If you want to learn more about how you can support the podcast on Patreon, please visit waldorfie.com forward slash Patreon. I cannot begin to express to you how much I really appreciate your support of the podcast. Again, a special thanks to Waldorfie podcast supporter Palumba. As a reminder, you can check them out at palumba.com, that's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com, and be sure to visit my page for a list of my favorite Waldorf toys at waldorfie.com forward slash favorite toys. As always, I so appreciate your feedback on this episode. You can always reach me at info.waldorfie at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. The show notes page for this episode can be found at waldorfie.com forward slash the child is the curriculum. I would so love to connect with you on social media. I'm at B Waldorfy, that's B-E Waldorfy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Thanks again for listening in, everybody. Be well. <laughs>